we decided to do some biking. Um, we went down with my family, went down to a, uh, a trail along the Susquehanna River. It was a very nice biking trail. You can bike right beside the, the river and um, it's a paved trail, really nice. And we were biking. Um, I came prepared. I knew my five-year-old son would probably not be able to make it the whole way. So he brought his bike. He was pedaling. He went most of the way. And of course, on the way back, it was yeah, getting, getting too much for him. And he was complaining, so he couldn't go anymore. So I came prepared. I knew that he probably won't make it. So I brought a rope along. And I've done it before, hooked back of my bike up to the front of his bike and pulled him along. And he pedals. And yeah, it, it worked out good. Gives me good exercise. and. Uh, worked out really well. However, so we had encouraged him or told him before as he's biking, stay to the right side of the trail because there's people coming the other way and it's not a real wide trail. Stay to the right side. Well, he liked to be in the passing lane. He liked to go. And <clears throat> so anyway, I was pulling him along and there was people coming the other way, of course. And one time people were coming past me and I looked back and Boy, this is not going to be good. Here the rope going out across like this, and he's over way in the left side, and there's people flying towards the other way, and I was like, oh, this is not going to end well. And sure enough, it was he, instead of cutting over to the right, he cut way over to the left, and people came right, and it, it was, it ended up being a major collision. It was just bad. And it was, and he flew off and flew onto the, the cadam there, and yeah, it was, it was just blood running. I was trying to stop, stop it, and he had gash on his forehead, and he had a big old bubble on his head. And, and uh, anyway, it was, yeah, we got it all cleaned up, and we were on our way then, and it, yeah, he, was, he turned out to be okay. I wasn't sure there for a while. But anyway, the next day then, Kendra asked him, what, uh, what did he learn from that experience? What did he learn? And he said, stay on the right side on the right side. So he knew, he's learning, that he needs to um, stay on the right side of the path. Sometimes we need to learn the hard way, don't we? And so <clears throat> how many times do we venture off the path that our Heavenly Father lays for us and clearly lays out the path and yet we venture off to the side and then we soon realize that there's danger. There's danger on, that, on the wrong side of the path. Um, and we stop following the line of our Heavenly Father, and it opens us up for the attack from the enemy. And so that's just a story I thought I'd share there at the beginning. There's a five-year-old that's learning a thing or two about life. And um, sometimes it takes painful experiences for us to learn, even for us as adults. So year after year, we observe Ascension Day. Comes and goes. How much do we appreciate or observe Ascension Day? What, is it, what does Ascension Day mean to us? And so I was studying into this and, and uh, thinking about Ascension Day. The more I studied it and the more I um, discovered about the meaning of Ascension Day, the more I feel that it's, it's, it was very important. It was a very important step in the life of our Savior to ascend back to heaven. How many days is Ascension Day after Easter? Does anybody know how many days? 40 days? That's right, 40 days. Counting Easter, it's 40 days, exactly. Every year, 40 days. 
And it's, it's, it's recorded in Luke that Luke recorded, I think it was Luke, yes, I believe it was Luke, recorded that he was, he was seen of his disciples for 40 days. He was seen. So it's, it's every, every year, 40, 40 days. And then, and, then how, and then it's 10 days after, from Ascension to Pentecost. So it's, it's 10 days after that. So the title of the message this morning is The Significance of the Ascension. And I'm going to look at the Ascension a little bit, a little bit later. First of all, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2. Second Kings chapter 2, this is a story in the Old Testament of an ascension. And it's a well-known story, a well-known story that the children grew up learning and in Sunday school. And we're going to look at this miraculous event. It's, very, it's an event that was very miraculous. And um, we're going to read over that. Second Kings chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 to 15. And it came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elijah said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul live, liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yeah, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yeah, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee, here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee, before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. <clears throat> and he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also, and when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. We'll stop right there. So this story is amazing. There's, there's no other story like it that I can think of where God takes someone to heaven um, in a whirlwind of, of fire, a chariot of fire. And it says in the beginning, what, what stuck out to me, somehow these prophets knew that Elijah was going to go that very day. 
And I, I don't know how or why, but they said, um, knowest thou that that uh, that'll take that's going to take your master away today? They said it twice. So somehow I don't know, understand how or why there was if there's a prophecy that was spoken or or um, it was prophesied somehow or whatever. They they knew, but it says in verse seven that all these prophets uh, they came and they went and they stood afar off. They watched from a distance. And then and Elijah. Um, asked Elisha, what shall I do for you? And Elisha's response was that a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And so I don't know um, what your thoughts are when you think of what his request was there. A double portion of God's spirit to be upon him. Um, why, would he, why would he say that? What would he um, be meaning when he says that? A double portion. And so Maybe, do you think that maybe he was arrogant when he said that? That he wants to be um, lifted up above Elijah. and He wants to uh, just be more, bold, more, more powerful than Elijah. I don't believe that was his, um, his goal at all. I don't believe um, he was arrogant at all. Because if he would have been, I doubt God would have granted that request. <clears throat> to understand this a little bit better, we can look at, at Deuteronomy chapter 21. And you don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to read um, to, to help us understand what, what, that, what he was saying. Deuteronomy 21, verse 17. <clears throat> but he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he hath. For he is the beginning of his strength, the right of the firstborn is his. And so that was, I believe, referring to a family situation there. Um, and speaking of the double portion and um, in in Bible times the firstborn got a double portion that was the the law of uh, in Israel that the firstborn always got a double portion and along with that he was given the responsibility of the leader of the family and so the the firstborn uh, it was the right that was the right of the firstborn in Israel and the firstborn could sell that he could sell that that right, and then if he did, he would forfeit the the financial prosperity that it brought him, and also um, the position of a leader. It would it would forfeit all that if he would if would would sell that. And we all know the story of Esau, what happened. And so, as we think about what it is, a double portion, uh, we see it. And if we think about it in that line, uh, in that meaning, and I think it helps us to understand, um, not you know that he didn't want to just be. Um, a better person or whatever, um, but I believe he wanted to accomplish more for the Lord. He wants to be. He wanted um, uh, the God's spirit to go forth and to accomplish um, so much. And so, is it okay for us today to ask the Lord to be able to accomplish more, um, to be able to accomplish more for Him? And I believe it's okay if we can, if as long as we have the right motives um, in asking God to be able to do more for Him. <clears throat> But as he talked here, it says, A chariot of fire took him to heaven. A chariot of horses and a chariot of fire. So these horses were on fire, according to this, um, this, these verses. They were on fire, but they weren't burning. They weren't being consumed. And I don't know. It was just a, a miraculous event. I can't imagine standing beside somebody, and they are all of a sudden swept up by a chariot of fire and taken to heaven especially a friend like, like he was there. 
Um, but they all knew something was going to happen that day, according to the, the verses there. They all knew something. I doubt they knew it was going to be a chariot of fire, but somehow they knew that he was going to be leaving. <clears throat> so this is the old story, an Old Testament story of an ascension to heaven. And the ascension that we want to talk about this morning is the ascension of Jesus Christ. And so let's, um, I guess, before we go into that, uh, into this, or verses that we want to look at, our scripture text, um, I want to say that Luke obviously wrote the gospel of Luke, according to Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. So Luke mentions the ascension at the end of the book of Luke and the very beginning of the book of Acts. So the ascension is situated right in the middle between those two books. And it's interesting to see, to, 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 to note that, um, that it's right between his two books, the Ascension. And the first book, the book of Luke, is recording the, the, the life and the works of Jesus working through his bodily ministry when he was here on this earth in, in uh, human form. It records uh, his workings uh, of, through his, his bodily ministry. And in the second book, uh, in Acts, records Jesus' work through the Holy Spirit. And so the ascension was right in between those two. And uh, it's, we see it's very fitting how, you know, Jesus, his life ministry here on this earth, and then the ascension he ascended, and then the next book in Acts is speaking of Jesus' work through the Holy Spirit in the church today. And so I was thinking about there's other, other uh, accounts uh, looking at the other gospel accounts, Matthew doesn't mention much about the ascension, the actual, um, um, actual account. Uh, Mark says he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. So Jesus was ascended into heaven, and he is sitting at the right hand of God. Um, and John doesn't really talk too much about the actual account. So we see that the account um, in Mark and in Luke. So turn with me to Luke chapter 24 as our text Look at his ascension. And I'm going to read verses, uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 53. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then, he, he, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out, as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. So we look at the uh, verse, verse 44. It says, these are the words which he spake unto you while I was wet, yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled. 
So there was prophecies that were recorded in the Old Testament, which were written in the Law of Moses, in, in, the, in the Psalms it mentioned. We know there's many prophecies in Psalms that were, uh, that were recorded that Jesus is going to be coming to this earth and he's going to be um, beaten and killed. And you know, there's so many prophecies that are recorded. And Jesus is saying here that these prophecies must be fulfilled. There must come a time when I need to go back to heaven. And Psalm 68, verse 18 is one of those. It says, Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. And it's also it's, it's referenced in Ephesians as well. And so it's, it's prophesied of Jesus' going back to heaven, ascending back to heaven. And as we think about... Um, the Old Testament, it points toward, to a Messiah. It points towards Jesus coming here and, um, and redeeming and bringing redemption. And um, there's a song I was listening to um, the other day, and I, and I just thought of this. The song is called So Much Mercy, So Much Mercy Coming Down. And it speaks of in, in how in the Old Testament times where so many men were killed. So many people fell to the ground because of their sin and because of their wickedness. In the Old Testament, we read stories where hundreds, you know, tens of thousands of people were killed. And because of their sin and, and, and God's judgment onto the people. And now today, it's a different story. So much mercy coming down. And it, it's, it's, it's awesome to think. Jesus came and gave his life and extended mercy to each one of us. It's different. It's a, new, it's a new era. And, you know, someday Jesus is going to come back and he's going to put an end to, um, and it's going to be coming back in judgment instead of mercy. Um, but in verse 45, Jesus said, Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. So he opened their understanding. He allowed them to see into what he was, was trying to say here. <clears throat> Have you ever read a scripture and not understood it? You just didn't get it. And sometimes it helps us to, to, re, to reread it, read it over and over. Sometimes if, when I'm studying, I'll just read something over and over again. And that definitely helps when you get, allow the scripture to, um, to sink in and, it's, and also allow God's spirit to reveal that to you. And, and sometimes we have to read context. We have to read before and after and just kind of get the feel of what, what's, where's the, what's the context of, this, um, of, this, of these scriptures. <clears throat> but Jesus revealed it to them. And then we see um, he's explaining to, him, to them what must happen. He's going to um, ascend, uh, or he's going to repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations. So he came, he died, and that he's going to um, allow his followers to go forth and preach the word and to, to bring that word to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And they are witnesses. Imagine that. They are witnesses. They witnessed everything. And um, for somebody to, to be, I mean, how effective is that? For somebody to bring a message where they seen firsthand accounts, and that is, that is, is awesome. The awesome responsibility that he left with them as witnesses to go forth to tell the world of, of who Jesus is. And verse 49, it says, some of the last w words that Jesus spoke. 
He says, I send the promise of my Father upon you, speaking of the Holy Spirit, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So he's going to extend, he's going to send the Holy Spirit and, um, to, to his followers and to Christians um, down through the centuries. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. What a promise. And then we see in verse 50, Jesus led them out as far as Bethany. Bethany was um, kind of a suburb of Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And it was a little village on the back slopes of the Mount of Olives, where Jesus ascended into heaven was on the Mount of Olives. This was a kind of a little um, area, um, kind of a, a small village on the back slopes of the, of, of the Mount of Olives. It was the home of Mary and Lazarus. So Jesus was very good friends. If you remember, he was very good friends of Lazarus and, and, and Mary. And he spent a lot of time there, I believe. Um, he spent a lot of time there to get away, um, to go. It was a, um, to get away from the crowds. It was a place of gardens and just parks, and uh, it was right there where the Garden of Gethsemane was, and just a beautiful place to go. And Jesus went to, to this area, went with his disciples, and it says he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he vanished. And so there's other times where Jesus vanished. He would vanish when, he's, when he was with them. And they didn't see him, you know, they would see him again maybe, but he would vanish for a short time. But this time, as he vanished, they were able to watch him. And they were able to, to, see, to see him go. And in Acts, Acts 1, the beginning of Acts 1, right the, next, the very next book that... Luke wrote um, is another, it gives another little description of, of it here. In verse 10 says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? So they had just witnessed Jesus leaving in this miraculous way, and they said, Why stand ye gazing into heaven? And so they're probably thinking, well, that's, I mean, we just witnessed this, Jesus, our leader, leaving us, and you're asking why, why are we looking up to heaven? We're, why stand ye gazing? And the original, in the original language, those words is, is translated, why are you looking longingly? Why are you looking longingly? Um, you know, don't worry. Jesus is going to come back in like manner in the way he went. <clears throat> And so the fact that Jesus went in his glorified body is proof that that's a place where glorified people will go. And it's only in his glorified body, his resurrected body, that he went to ascend back to heaven. And someday we will receive a glorified body. Philippians 3 verse 21 says, Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body? And so he's taking that vile body, the sinful flesh body, and turning it into a resurrected, a resurrected body. And then it says in verse 53, 52 and 53, in the end of Luke 24, And they worshipped him and returned. This was after he ascended. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy 
and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. And it doesn't say they went back to their fishing or they went back to their occupation. They went back and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. And so they are ready to go forth and go to the end of the earth. They experienced his power now on, on this earth. They experienced his power and the joy that Jesus um, gave them. And they knew him. They knew Jesus personally. And now they were ready to die for him. And we do know that many of his followers did die. Um, almost all of them, really, went, died for him. And so this was an experience that changed their outlook. And what changed? Uh, just, if we remember a few short days or whatever before this, they were trying to understand why Je you know, Jesus would, ex would explain to them, I'm going to die, and then in three days later I'm going to arise. And they didn't quite they didn't understand this. They didn't know what this was all about. Why was they were saddened by his leaving. And, you know, and then um, they weren't getting it. And just in verse 41, just the verse before these verses, it says, and while they yet believed not for joy. So they, weren't, they were saddened by this. And now, as he left... They're, they're, they experience great joy. So what's the difference? Like what, what happened or what changed? Um, and so they were ready. They were ready. They experienced Jesus. They seen what he, did, what he did, and now he passed that on to his disciples. And I'm here to tell you that that is what the joy of Jesus does for a Christian. You know, they, he just left them. And now they are experiencing more joy than what they have ever experienced before. And I believe in our own lives, as we think about what we go through, uh, the trials that we experience, um, we can still experience the joy of Jesus in, in, in the midst of those trials and those, those uh, experiences. And that's what Jesus does. He gives us joy. So I want to look a little bit now at the significance of the ascension. A few points here, I'm gonna go through them briefly. Uh, the first one, um, the significance of the ascension, um, the first one is, it marked the completion of salvation. After Jesus went to the cross and after he uh, arose from the dead and you know, his work was done. He said it on the cross, his work, it is finished. He is done. So now, what else was there for him to do? But but uh, give that on to his followers to go forth and, and, to, uh, and spread the word. So it marked the completion of salvation. Secondly, it marked his exaltation and coronation. So it marked his exaltation as king when he ascended up on high um, and sitting at the right hand of God. Um, it, it also marked his coronation. Now, what is a coronation? Um, you can see... Um, you can watch the coronation of King Charles III of England. Just back on uh, May 6th, King Charles III was coronated as the king. And it's rather an interesting ordeal. Um, in, a, in a huge cathedral, probably twice as high as this building, a humongous cathedral, and there um, he's placed um, a robe, a very, I'm sure a very expensive robe is placed on him, and he's sit, seated back into a chair that's, uh, like, I think he said, 700 years old. And this is a, 
Um, and then he's, he's handed a golden scepter, a pure gold golden scepter, like the kings that you hear about that have the, they, they extend this, the scepter to someone. And he is, there's a large crown that's placed on his head. And he's even anointed with oil from the Mount of Olives, from this very place where Jesus ascended into heaven. From the, that very place, he, the, the king is anointed with oil. And it's done in a, in a more of a private setting, I think, in that uh, when, when he's anointed with oil. But this is a ceremony that's been taking place for over a thousand years. Um, ceremonies as a coronation for the king. And Jesus is exalted as king of kings and lord of lords. There's no ceremony that marked his coronation as king. Instead, Jesus was beaten and he was spit on. He was mocked and he was scorned. And the nails were driven into his hands. Yet, Jesus arose victorious as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he ascended as king. Thirdly, his, uh, his ascension signaled the sending of the Holy Spirit. And in, ver in John 16, verse 7, I'm not even going to bother going there, but he, he speaks that it is better that I go so I can send the Holy Spirit to you. It's better that I go and ascend back to heaven so, I, so he can send the promise of the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, it marked the start of the preparation for our heavenly home. And in John 14, it says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye may be also. And so it start, it, 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 he's starting at, at the ascension is the start of preparing a home, a mansion for us to go um, someday. Fifthly, it marked the passing of evangelism to his followers. So it marked the, the time where he would pass that on to others. I mean, he spent hours, he worked with them and trained them and spent many days and even, even years of teaching and hours of close, you know, fellowship and, and conversation with them. And now it was time to pass that responsibility on. And so in our terms today, we could, we could say that as delegating responsibility. Delegating responsibility. I'm lear learning that in um, so many areas of life. We need to be able to do that. We can't do everything ourselves. Sixthly, it marked his triumph over Satan. That is awesome. Hebrews 2, verses 14 to 15, um, it talks about through death, he took away the power of death from Satan. <clears throat> in John, 1 John 3, 8, he that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And so, he took away the power of death from Satan. Seventh, it signaled giving away of his ministry to gifted men. And we talked about that a little bit before. Um, Ephesians 4, verses 7 and 8. I think I'm going to read that here briefly. Ephesians 4, 7 and 8. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So when he ascended up on high, he gave gifts unto me. So he provided with each one of us as Christians gifts. And the power to go forth and to be able to extend his ministry. 
So he gave us gifts that we can further his work. And eighthly, it marked the start of his high priestly work. And so he became an advocate to the Father. So he is now, when he ascended back to heaven, he now started the work of interceding for us. And if we think about Christ, just think of, with me a little, for a minute of all that he has done for each one of us. And just think of the whole general, he came to this earth, died, or he was, came to this earth and uh, taught us so many things in his word and then there was re- recorded accounts through the gospels of what he has done. And then he went to the cross, he died, rose again for our sins, uh, he rose again and so, we could, so could be, we could be redeemed. He ascended back into heaven, and that's not it. Now he's interceding for us. And that's something that we don't think about too often, or um, just to think about how Jesus is interceding for us, for our sin, to the Father. And it's just, it's just awesome, amazing of, of what he has done. Ninthly, it guarantees and secures the second coming. And so... He left. Now, the final fulfillment of prophecy is to return. That's the next major event, is the second coming. And some of his last words before he left is, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And that's Matthew 28, um, verse 20. And as he left, he gave that promise. I am with you even unto the end of the age. Do you often, do you wonder, ever wonder where Jesus is? Where he is, um, does he feel, if he ever feels distant in your, in your life? I know I've felt that already. It doesn't feel like he's, he's as close. And it's not because he went away from you. It's because you uh, wandered away from him. Because he says he's always with us wherever you go, even to the end, even to the end of the age, the, the final ending end times, which we are living in right now. And he's there. He's, he's, he's always with us, no matter how bad it gets in this life. And so we need to stay close. If we feel distant, it's because we are drifting from him. The second coming, he left off the Mount of Olives, and he will return to this very place. In Zechariah 14.4, it says, And his feet shall stand on that day in the Mount of Olives, and every eye will see him. And, and I was thinking a little bit about that. How is that going to work for every eye to see Jesus coming back? You think of the whole, the whole earth, how, how big is the earth? And every single person is going to see. And I don't know um, how, how that's going to work. I know we have technology nowadays that makes it possible for that. But I do believe every eye is going to see him. And I don't know that it's going to be through technology. There's, God will work it out somehow that every person will, will see and every person will hear the sound of the trumpet. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 7. Read that here. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And so, every human being, I believe, will, will, will see that. <clears throat> and 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2, it talks about 
Jesus coming as a thief in the night. He's going to come at a time when we least expect it. When we least expect it. So in closing this morning, thinking of the ascension of Jesus Christ and the next major event, the second coming, I want to close, uh, I was looking at, let's look at verse, at Revelation chapter 1. Why don't you turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 7 and 8. It speaks of the end times uh, when Jesus comes back. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. And so here it says in verse 7, Every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And when John here was writing this, I'm sure he remembered that horrific event when Christ was, was, was crucified, when they pierced him. He was, he was there. And so it brings back memories, I'm sure. And he mentions this. Those that, those that pierced um, his hands, they are going to see Jesus Christ when he returns in judgment. And it says, all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him shall wail. And I looked up, what does the word wail mean? I looked that up. It said that the definition I, I said I came across was a prolonged, high-pitched cry of pain, grief, or anger. So a prolonged, high-pitched cry of pain, grief, or anger. Why? Because they never knew him. They never knew Jesus. They never bowed their knee to him on this earth. They never confessed him as Lord and Savior. And the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will, comp- will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every single person on the face of this earth who has rejected Christ their, their life, their whole life. And so what I want to leave with us this morning, that Jesus gave us the tools we need to get to heaven. Jesus gave us everything we need. Um, he came here. We, we know the example um, that, he, that he lived on this earth and... Um, he sent us the Holy Spirit, um, and now he's interceding for us. Um, and so it's because if we're, if we're going to miss heaven, it's, it's, not because of what he's, it's not because he didn't give us the sufficient uh, ability to do. It's because of our own selfish will and our, our own selfish heart. And so Jesus is coming soon. Now um, is the time to prepare. The time is short, and I, I know one of these days it's going to happen. God is going to say, this is enough. Enough of the wickedness and the sinfulness on this earth, and he's going to send back Jesus Christ, and he's going to come back. And we know the signs are all around us, the signs of the times. Everybody knows that. Even, even a doubter um, that doubts it can't, can't deny it. Jesus is going to come back from the east, and he's going to come back in the way he left. Um, and except this time, he's going to come back in judgment uh, to bring justice to Satan, who has ruled this earth with fury, and he's going to say, enough. And so, and he knows his time is short, he really does. And so, this morning, I just want to encourage you, encourage you all that, you know, just to, just to keep our focus heavenward, keep it, keep it on heaven, keep it on the second coming, be prepared, please live your life um, for Jesus Christ. Um, and, and keep it heavenward because this earth is going to drag us down. If we get focused on um, the things here on this earth, 
um, so many times it will, it will drag us down. And so sooner or later, he's going to return. So please, please be ready. You do not want to miss it. We don't want to miss the splendors of heaven. We want to enjoy um, um, our time on this earth as well as we're serving Christ. And we also want to um, experience the splendors of heaven someday when Christ either calls us home or comes back for the church as we think about how short life really is, a little tiny span. Um, I see it heard the example, the uh, illustration of a long rope, making a rope 50 feet long, and right on the end is a little red, red portion of that rope, and that's our lifespan, just a tiny little fraction of the time, comparing it to eternity, which is forever. So I just want to encourage you um, today and this week, um, just keep your focus on Christ and um, just being thankful and, and just loving what he has done. Just being thankful for um, the life that he lived here, the example that he left us, and that we can, too can follow in his footsteps. So why don't we all, all stand for a word of prayer, and then we'll have a closing song, and you can be dismissed. Father in heaven, just thank you um, for coming to this earth and for ascending back to heaven and sending us the Holy Spirit. You didn't let us um, on our own, but you promised that you'll be with us and that you're going to send a comforter. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit to um, guide us, to convict us when we do wrong, and to encourage us. And we just thank you so much. Thank you that you are going to come back for us someday. Um, you're going to come back, and we believe the time is soon. And so help us, God, to be ready every single day of our lives that we would have our focus on eternity and our focus on you, because we know that's where our hope lies. And so just be with us as we go from here. Just help us to have a good week. We just pray for those that are hurting, um, that they could... Um, experience relief, um, pain, whatever it may be. I just pray that you would bless them and just be with us as we go from here. In your name I pray. Amen.